I felt bad for those kids that were not yet quite to the age where they could delay the gratification. I'm also not quite yet to that age where I can delay the... You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's difficult, isn't it? So this is actually a test that they performed back in the 1970s. I know that seems like a really, really long time ago to some of you. But what they did was they said, hey, to these kids, exactly what you saw on the video. If you can wait, instead of eating the marshmallow now, you'll have two later on. And instead, some ate it right away and some waited. And so the difficulty for them was to just have that 15 minutes of not eating something and having that temptation so close. But as they watched that, as they saw what was going on, and then as they followed up later on in the life of those kids, they realized that they actually saw a pattern, and that was that if the kids could delay that gratification for a little while longer, that they actually had a huge difference in their life. And here's what happened. They found that the children that were able to wait longer and waited on their reward, they tended to have better life outcomes, better measured SAT scores, better educational attainment, and even as much as a better BMI, body mass index, and other measurements. In other words, our ability to say, I will wait for the good that will be better later. Now, before we go any further, let me just remind you that for almost all of us, the mindset that we have determines the life path that we take. And so we've got to be very, very careful that as we kind of control our minds and turn it over to Christ, that we are people who are strong enough to say, I may want this now, but I know that later God has something that is even better for me if I will wait on Him. And so the truth is, is that it is difficult, but it is also incredibly important. Now, I want to talk today about something that has started to get some traction over the last few years. It is something that they call grit. Have you guys heard of grit a little bit in the last few years? Anybody in here kind of let me see a few, okay, a handful of uh, hands and a few, you know, uh, heads shaking back and forth. Well, here's what I share with you. I want to talk about today these modern family values. And we know that some of the things that we used to try to pass along to our kids was not something that we always did a great job. And in these days, we don't even know exactly what is important that we pass along. And surely we have struggles on exactly how to do that. But I want to talk today about what's important to pass along, and I want to also talk about how we do that. So let's go to our next slide, and let me just share with you. These are a couple of images of the Navy SEALs. You guys have all heard of the Navy SEALs, right? They are literally in the top 1% of literally all of the Navy, much less the entirety of the armed forces. But these guys are just incredible in their commitment. Now, I want to tell you guys something. It's top secret. Now, everybody raise your right hand and say, I swear I won't tell anybody. Uh, I actually married a Navy SEAL. No, hold on. Let me say that again. I performed a wedding for a Navy SEAL. It's true. I did. And uh, it was just down the road at Safari, Texas. It was a part of the, the family that was being married into. Her daughter lived out in Coronado, California area. And uh, I got an opportunity to do that uh, particular wedding ceremony. It was tons of fun. 
Now, I know what you guys are thinking, and I'm hurt by that. I know what you're thinking. You're thinking about all these big, burly, buff dudes that were in great physical shape with little dumpy Randy right here in the middle uh, doing it all. Well, here's what actually happened. What was incredible was the mindset that you have of a Navy SEAL is probably a little different. Because the truth is, is that maybe the most famous guy who is a Navy SEAL is Marcus Luttrell from here in the Huntsville, Houston, Texas area. He is about six foot five, and that is a very tall guy. But he is by far the exception. What I was shocked about is literally there were three different Navy SEALs at minimum that were a part of the wedding party, including the groom, but they all about were my height, maybe a couple of inches taller. They were all normal-looking guys, except for they were extremely fit. Now, they weren't rocked up like bodybuilders, but they were incredibly fit. And here's what I have read in the books that were written by literal Navy SEALs. They say that they go through a process where only about 6% of the people that apply make it through. And they have said it is the difficult, it is the most difficult physical thing that you will ever face in your life. But it pales in comparison to the mental side of the things that you will face during that. That that intensive training that they call basic underwater demolitions is called BUDS. And it is one of the hardest things that any unit can ever go through uh, wherever you are. So why am I sharing this with you? The thing that that, that kind of changes and and, um, disperses those who make it versus those who do not has nothing to do with how many push-ups they can do, how many pull-ups they can do, and all of the physical things. It is instead that they have a mindset that says, no matter what happens, I just will not quit. I just won't quit. You can't make me quit. Now, this is a way of talking about what is grit. It is literally just that. It is grit that makes you hang in there, stay in there no matter what. And Winston Churchill once said, the thing that separates the the people who succeed versus those who fail, success consists of going from failure to failure without the loss of enthusiasm. Now, let me just share this with you. How many of you know that no matter what you try to do, or what you try to accomplish, you will face something that is going to feel like a huge failure in your life. Can I see your hands? Every single one of us, right? We know we're going to face it. The question is, is that going to be the nail in the coffin that keeps us from moving forward, or is it going to instead be something that changes us and pushes us towards something altogether different? Now, I don't normally do this, but I am going to just share with you There is another movie that I want to share with you, and it is powerful, and it is insightful. And if you are a parent, this is very important for you. If you are a grandparent, this is very important for you. Because one of the best things that you can do for your your children or your grandchildren is to help them to develop this characteristic that we call grit. Sticking in, staying in, and no matter what, not giving up. And I want to just share it with you very quickly. I think it will be a blessing. It's called, It's from a TED Talk. I think you guys will enjoy it. And I'll let you guys find that, I think, in the videos from week to week. It's number two in there. It's about a six-minute video, and you can find it. And if you can pull it in, let me know. But let me just share with you. Let's talk about the grit 
that was mentioned when Paul read about Paul. Was that confusing, by the way? I hope that's not too confusing. Paul, thank you so much for sharing. But the grit that is seen in the Apostle Paul is absolutely incredible. And I want to share with you, and we're going to go through four different areas where you look at his life and you see grit on full display. And then we'll come back and maybe identify that. But let's go to our next slide here, and we'll talk a little bit about that. Not the mini-movie slide, but the next, if you don't mind. Grit is a passion and perseverance for long-term goals. One way to think about it, grit, is to consider what grit isn't. Grit isn't talent. Grit isn't luck. Grit isn't how intensely for the moment you want something. Instead, grit is about having what some researchers call, and in the next slide, it continues the quote here. Our next slide continues the quote. An ultimate concern, a goal that you care about so much that it organizes and gives you meaning to almost everything that you do. And grit is holding steadfast to that goal, even when you fall down, even when you screw up, and even when progress towards that goal is halting or slow. Now, before we go any further, let me ask you a question. Whatever you have decided that you wanted to make your goal in your professional or your personal life, have you all have, have we all just decided, hey, we all can agree, we've all fallen down. We've all screwed up. We've all had halting or slow progress in those areas. So the question is, how do we press through that? And how can we make sure that those that we love learn how to press through that? Because they will face the same things that we face. And... As I mentioned, maybe you've heard of it. There's a TED Talk about this. <laughs> Let's check it out. Thanks, you guys. Appreciate it. When I was 27 years old, I left a very demanding job in management consulting for a job that was even more demanding, teaching. I went to teach seventh graders math in the New York City public schools. And like any teacher, I made quizzes and tests, I gave out homework assignments. When the work came back, I calculated grades. What struck me was that IQ was not the only difference between my best and my worst students. Some of my strongest performers did not have stratospheric IQ scores. Some of my smartest kids weren't doing so well. And that got me thinking. The kinds of things you need to learn in seventh grade math, sure, they're hard. Ratios, decimals, the area of a parallelogram. But these concepts are not impossible. And I was firmly convinced that every one of my students could learn the material if they worked hard and long enough. After several more years of teaching, I came to the conclusion that what we need in education is a much better understanding of students and learning from a motivational perspective, from a psychological perspective. In education, the one thing we know how to measure best is IQ. But what if doing well in school and in life depends on much more than your ability to learn quickly and easily? So I left the classroom and I went to graduate school to become a psychologist. I started studying kids and adults in all kinds of super challenging settings. And in every study, my question was, 
who is successful here and why? My research team and I went to West Point Military Academy. We tried to predict which cadets would stay in military training and which would drop out. We went to the National Spelling Bee and tried to predict which children would advance farthest in competition. We studied rookie teachers working in really tough neighborhoods, asking which teachers are still going to be here in teaching by the end of the school year. And of those, who will be the most effective at improving learning outcomes for their students? We partnered with private companies asking, which of these salespeople is going to keep their jobs? And who's going to earn the most money? In all those very different contexts, one characteristic emerged as a significant predictor of success. And it wasn't social intelligence, it wasn't good looks, physical health, and it wasn't IQ. It was grit. Grit is passion and perseverance for very long-term goals. Grit is having stamina. Grit is sticking with your future, day in, day out, not just for the week, not just for the month, but for years, and working really hard to make that future a reality. Grit is living life like it's a marathon, not a sprint. A few years ago, I started studying grit in the Chicago public schools. I asked thousands of high school juniors to take grit questionnaires and then waited around more than a year to see who would graduate. Turns out that grittier kids were significantly more likely to graduate, even when I matched them on every characteristic I could measure. Things like family income, standardized achievement test scores, even how safe kids felt when they were at school. So it's not just at West Point or the National Spelling Bee that grit matters, it's also in school, especially for kids at risk for dropping out. To me, the most shocking thing about grit is how little we know, how little science knows about building it. Every day, parents and teachers ask me, how do I build grit in kids? What do I do to teach kids a solid work ethic? How do I keep them motivated for the long run? The honest answer is, I don't know. <laughs> what I do know is that talent doesn't make you gritty. Our data show very clearly that there are many talented individuals who simply do not follow through on their commitments. In fact, in our data, grit is usually unrelated or even inversely related to measures of talent. So far, the best idea I've heard about building grit in kids is something called growth mindset. This is an idea developed at Stanford University by Carol Dweck, and it is the belief that the ability to learn is not fixed, that it can change with your effort. Dr. Dweck has shown that when kids read and learn about the brain and how it changes and grows in response to challenge, they're much more likely to persevere when they fail because they don't believe that failure is a permanent condition. So growth mindset is a great idea for building grit, but we need more. And that's where I'm going to end my remarks, because that's where we are. That's the work that stands before us. We need to take our best ideas, our strongest intuitions, and we need to test them. We need to measure whether we've been successful, and we have to be willing to fail, to be wrong, to start over again with lessons learned. In other words, we need to be gritty about getting our kids 
grittier. Thank you. All right, so let's very quickly talk about the grit that we saw in the Apostle Paul and how we can start emulating, how we can pass that along, and exactly how to do that. Do you remember the Damascus Road experience? Paul was going this way in Judaism and was blinded by the light and went that way in Christianity. It was a 360 degree, no, 180 degree turn, sorry. Uh, it was going this direction and doing very, very well in it. And then literally being knocked down and told, go in the other direction that is absolutely opposite of it. But the thing that we see in Paul was that he was excelling above his peers. And then he got a fresh start and was behind most of his peers. And then found a way to excel among, among his peers in the opposite direction. Why is that? It was not just simply because he was talented. It was not just because he was good-looking. As a matter of fact, he had issues in this area. But past this, we see that he determined that he would do all that he could, no matter what the cost was. The Damascus Road shows us the grit of Paul. But there is more to see as we see. We go to this next slide. His thorn in the flesh. And this is very important. Your kids and your grandkids, or even you personally, will have to come to grips with the idea that there will be days where something that you don't want is going to happen to you. And the question is whether or not it will ruin your day, ruin your week, ruin your month, or ruin your year, or ruin your decade. This is true because you've been there, I've been there. We've had stuff that we thought, well, it's going to be okay we knew it would probably be okay, but it just hit us wrong. And then we look around and we realize that we've lost weeks or even months and been waylaid by a small problem that was outsized in its effect on us. Can I get an amen? I mean, have you ever been there before? You've been there. I've been there. Paul dealt with his thorn in the flesh, and we don't know if it was every day, but we know that it was frequently. And the truth is, is that we must come to the place where Paul did and said, you know what, even though I have a thorn in the flesh, I'm just simply going to let God's grace be sufficient to overcome this thorn in the flesh. Let's keep moving here. This third thing that we see in the grit of Paul is the prison epistles. That's the fancy way of saying the letters that he wrote while he was still in prison. You may or may not know this, but if you know the passages of Scripture from some of these books, you will know that these books that Paul wrote in prison, including uh, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon, all four of those books are not the kind where you look at and just say, man, he's down on everything. He's down on life because he's in the dungeon. Of course he's down. But 2 Timothy also is a passage of Scripture that he wrote while he was in prison and literally knew he was facing his death. But this comes to our one to remember from 2 Timothy chapter 4. Here is Paul at the very end of his life, probably the last chapter of Scripture that he ever wrote. He said, I'm ready. I'm already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. And then these words that give me chills just to read them. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race, and I have kept the faith. Like, this is one of the last things that we have written from the pen of Paul. And he tells us, I'm going through some things like, I'm being offered on the altar. The things that I'm facing are not things that I wish that I was facing. But here's what I know. I fought a good fight. 
I finished my race, and at the end of the day, I did not turn my back on my faith. Now, to me, that is absolutely inspiring. This is one to remember. If you want to memorize this scripture, you can memorize this. But then if you even want to go further, you can go further. In verse 8, he says, he says, And therefore, because of these things, I have a crown that is laid up for me, waiting for me on the other side of death. And when, it's not just for me, but all who love the appearance of Christ and all who love following in His ways. That's a paraphrase. But you know what Paul was saying. I am willing to go through the hard times now so that I will have the eternal reward later. And this is so important and vital for us. Most of us can't get beyond the things that we see in the moment. We can't get past the small window of vision that we have. We have to look up and say, there's a bigger world out there and there is more that God is doing in my life than this momentary trouble and issue that I'm facing. And very quickly, let's keep moving here. Let's go to our next slide. The John Mark situation. Four verses down from that one that I just mentioned, I will tell you that Paul wrote these words. And again, it's a paraphrase. Bring John Mark to me because he is fruitful and a good worker. And I want him before I pass. I want to see him one more time before I pass. And if you don't remember who John Mark is, he's the one who wrote the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark. And he is the one that Paul was so angry with that they could not even go out and preach the Gospel together anymore. But as he was facing his death, he said, you know what, I've made a mistake. And John Mark is valuable in ministry. And I was wrong, and I want to see him. I want to be reconciled to Him. Now listen to me. Listen to me. If you're still sucking in air, it is not too late to say that you were wrong, and it is not too late to say that you were sorry for the cause or the damage that it caused when you were wrong. Can I get an amen on that? Can I get an amen? As long as God is letting you still live, you have the opportunity to say, I wanted it to be different. I thought I was right in the moment, but I was wrong. And I am sorry. If you have that opportunity and you know that you need to do it, it might be one of the grittiest things that you ever do to sit there and look somebody in the eye and say, I was wrong. You were right. And I am sorry. I can't help but think when Paul was probably crucified very early, maybe John Mark had a different trajectory on his ministry because he was reconciled. Because Paul spoke up and took the difficulty that he had to face. And he was growing, changing, developing, and being different even to the very end of his life. And I don't know about you, but it's harder for me to be kind the older that I get. And it's harder for me to be understanding the older I get. And I get more and more like the get-off-my-lawn guy than I want to be the older that I get. And I don't want to be a guy like that. I want to be a guy who is pushing towards the best that I can possibly be and still growing even to the very end of my life. I'm 52 years old. I am way too young to be this cranky. Can I get an amen? I mean, I'm serious. 
I'm serious. Y'all are laughing at me like none of y'all are cranky. Come on now. I'm just saying. Seriously. Man, we are supposed to be an example of God's love, not of His judgment in a constant way. Let's be better. And let's realize that it involves growth and growing and realizing that even though we've got a lot of wisdom, we may not always have all the knowledge that we need and we may just flat out be wrong. And it's cool to say, I am sorry. All right, we're going to move on. And my goodness, oh my goodness, goodness, goodness. I haven't even got to the big idea, but here's the big idea. The most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. The most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. All right, good news, y'all. <clears throat> I'm not finishing this message. Come back for part two next week. I'm not going to keep you too far. But here's what I would say. The most successful and respected people in our world are people with grit. I have a grandmother that is one of the biggest influences not only in my life, but also in the life of my incredible wife. And she lived in a trailer on the back side of land that she did not own. She sewed um, washcloths together rather than buying new ones. And her Tupperware was cool with containers. <laughs> she had nothing according to this world. But I know about 70 people who would list her as either number one or two or three at the very lowest of the people that influenced them. And guess what? All of them are successful in their chosen field. Why? Why would you respect somebody that doesn't have the money, doesn't have the fame, doesn't have the notoriety? Because you know and I know that it is not about where you are, it's where you've come from and what you've come through. Can I get an amen? Right? And so you know as well as I do, that woman that was my grandmother before she passed had been through the Great Depression and had made it through. And I could tell you stories, and I'm not going to do that, but I'm here to tell you that when it came to grit, she had it in spades. I'm talking about one of the toughest ladies that you've ever met or seen, and I can tell you stories I won't, but I'm telling you, grit for days. I respect her, even though she is an unknown to most people. Why? Because I know her story. I know what she's been through. I know where she's been. And I want to be tough like her. I want to be gritty like her. That there's nothing that could stop me from pursuing my God and my God-given call in my life. Like, that's what I want. I want to be that guy that's like her. She's unknown but she is far from unimportant. Let's, how does this work out? Very quickly, let's talk about this. The most successful people, money alone is not success. Secondly, some of the people that you respect most in the world are unknowns, just like what I talked about. And third, we know that life has many seasons, and we also know that God is always working. That means right now, don't give up because it's just in the middle of the story. It's just in the middle of the story. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm, I'm, I'm playing it a little bit fast and loose, but let's go back. Let's go down to the I apply by. We've got two of those. 
and I want to just share them with you quickly. And then we're going to close and come back next week for part two. Okay, so second, uh, first of all, we begin to win in our own mind, listening to God's view of you and not the view of other people when it comes to you. And then secondly, to sow seed in others as often as you can, whether that's your kids, your spouse, your co-workers, your grandkids, people that you know, friends that you have, neighbors that you have. Sow seeds in other people as often as you can. This is how you begin to share and make a difference in people's lives. You first of all begin to win in your own mind and say, you know what? It's not what I'm going through. It's where I'm heading. And then you realize that my job is not to change everything and everyone. My job is not to be famous. My job is not to make incredible amounts of money. But instead, my job is to sow seeds in life of other people that will change their path and make an impact in that way. So very quickly, let's go to our next slide. To begin to win in your own mind, maybe you and I both need to say, you know, when you're young, it's almost like you grow accidentally and automatically. But then once you get past high school and college age and get a little further down the line in your career, you can become very, very stagnant and very, very stationary in your growth. Can I get an amen on that? Can I hear it? Right? We've been there. We've all been there. Maybe you know that there is something that you are doing in your life that you just need to stop and say no to. You know what? I am not a person who wants to be defined as someone who never gained any victory over that thing that controls my life, that affects other people, that ruins my testimony, and on and on and on it goes. You know something in your life that you just need to say no to or maybe you need to change the pattern and direction of your life altogether. I don't know. But these things are how you begin to win in your mind and others. I don't have the market corner there. You might have someone else uh, some other way. But then secondly, you begin by sowing seeds in other people as often as you can. And here's what I wrote there. I wrote a name. A name. Because for some of you, you know exactly who it is that you need to be sowing seeds into, but you're not. Not yet. But maybe this is part of that change that you need to begin and say, you know what? I'm going to take this seriously, and I'm going to be intentional about making a difference, making an impact, and this is how you do it. You begin with a name, and you begin with the desire and the decision to change your mindset and see them as an opportunity to give them something that helps and blesses them, points them in a better direction. I hope you guys will come back next week. There's so much more about grit that I want to share with you. I just wanted to make sure that we have the basis down, and I didn't want to take too much of your time. There is some great stuff that I'm going to be sharing with you next week about what to share. And you already know it's going to be grit. Next week I'll talk more about how to do it and how to develop it in you if you're a person who isn't quite as gritty as you need to be. Heavenly Father, thank you for being a God who always works on our behalf. Thank you for being a God who sees us as we are and yet is not satisfied to leave us there, but instead you are constantly drawing us and 
moving us towards a better way of living and a better way of life. And God, I just pray that you would help us, that we would hear your call, and that we would grow and change and say no to those things that we don't want to be, those things that we know do not bring glory and honor to you. But instead, Lord, we would get on a path of growth and change that puts us in a way that we become more like you each day. We love you, Lord. We want to be good representatives of who you are. And God, I just pray for all of us to make that decision beginning to win in our minds. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.